You're listening to the film podcast about indie filmmaking and big budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another episode of the film podcast. My guest was born in Vienna, Austria and has directed both television series and feature films. His eye for detail and planning and mapping out a world is on view to watch when viewing his work and none more so than Freud, an epic series currently screening on Netflix, which is a filmmaker's palette of an intricate tapestry of every department working at their optimal performance. Marvin Crean, welcome to the film podcast. Thank you, Craig, for having me. Nice to have you on. And as mentioned, Freud is currently streaming on Netflix. What a world that you have created here, Marvin. The textures and the layers of this piece is rich throughout the eight episodes. And the consistency of it is realized because you have directed all eight episodes. Perhaps we can start there. Of course, to do that requires a hell of a lot of stamina and focus to pull it off. So tell us how important that was and the rigor and the discipline it required to achieve the result of the continuity in the look of the piece. Well, uh, it was never a question for me not to do all episodes, but after 86 shooting days, it was a question (laughs) (laughs) because I was really, really tired afterwards. Although I wouldn't have it done uh, in another way um, because... When I feel that every detail of an actor, of a character is organic, you know, because sometimes directors are switching and it is little parts. If an, and if a character leaves one door and enters another door, the energy of the actor is different because he has a different uh, director. And I feel it. And I think the subconscious of the viewers feel it too. And sometimes those interruptions in viewing it that something is not right. So that's why it was for me very important to be in control, to be in charge of everything. It is hard work, of course, but if you're in the machine, it is like it's not hard work anymore because it becomes dynamic in itself to know all the details and everything gives hand to each other in the best case. But that means lots of preparation, lots of rehearsing, lots, lots of reading. You can say that I'm kind of... um method acting director that means that i need to understand the main topic of my material i need to feel it and if i got this feeling then i am i i know my job and in the case of freud was to understand what it what it feels like to to get hypnotized because the young freud we are telling is is he he works a lot with hypnosis the older Freud, he avoided hypnosis, but the young one was really into that. So we focused on the idea of hypnosis. How does it feel? How does hypnosis work? And yeah, well, I, I went to a psychoanalyst who, who does hypnosis as well, and that worked very well on me. And that was very a, a very, very frightening feeling, but to, to get hypnotized, to lose control over my mind, and to fall in the subconscious, in the unconscious, to fall there and to understand what does it feel like was very important for me to understand what kind of powerful instrument Freud had in his hands. So that was my key for the show. 
Well, it's always a good idea if you can go there and be hypnotized, which is exactly what you did. That's that's one thing. But then you've got to illustrate and you have to show that by way of filming it. How tricky was bringing that whole hypnosis into play from a camera point of view for the viewer to actually watch that? Everything starts with the actor. Everything starts with the actor and then comes the camera. So Robert Finster, who plays Freud, of course, he had to go under the same procedure like me. So he went to the same coach, get hypnotized, and the coach learned him to hypnotize. That was very important because then we knew that he knew. He didn't pretend. He knew what he's doing. That was the way that we can get a, the right feeling from the actor. At the same way, we understood it's about sound. It's about senses. It's about uh, the way you look, the way you, your voice changes, and it's about uh, touching. That was a new approach from us or a special idea of us that uh, if you touch somebody, he gets more easily hypnotized. So if you watch the scenes with Freud where he hypnotized people, you always see his hands. And I fall in love with the idea of the detail of, of, of hands, of his hands, of other hands. A hand is something very symbolic because it symbolizes power in a way, masculinity, but also weakness it, uh, and control. That was something which is, was really nice to, to learn. But as I said at the beginning, everything happens with a lot of pre-production. You have to understand your material and then you can make good films. Well, I want to come back to Robert Finster, who is also Austrian. My God, he is totally inhibiting this character. <laughs> How did you find him, Marvin? Where did you look to even begin to find him? Well, of course, it was clear for me that I come from Austria. Sigmund Freud was more or less from Austria. And I knew that my actor had to come from Austria as well, although I cast in Germany and in Switzerland and in Austria. And I cast about like 30 to 40 young men, famous men and not famous men. And Robert was a little tip from my mother. Uh, she saw him in a theater and I loved um, the way he, look, he looks like. Uh, I loved his ma masculinity and his somehow darkness he brings automatically on, on set in a good way, not darkness in a negative way. Mm. He's a mysterious kind of being. And when he did the casting, it was interesting that every other actor, as a director, you don't say too much. You, you just let the, the actor do his interpretation of the dialogue and of the character. And what he did was pretty near to that what you see, but he was, he was sexy in a good way. He was like trying to get with his eyes into your eyes, into your brain. And the other actors were pretty much uh, neutral. They were like doctors. I, I don't have uh, sexuality. I'm here and I do, I do the thing with my, with my watch. And that was something which surprised me because, yes, uh, Freud is all about sex. It's all about atmosphere, getting into another person's brain, getting into another person's spirit. It's a sexual thing, isn't it? <laughs> it is, for sure. <laughs> and 
you know, your actor, it's all on Robert's face without him saying anything. His body gestures, his eyes tell us what he is thinking, the subtle pauses that he makes, the tone shifting of his voice. You never get sick of watching him for a moment. In fact, I watched every single scene wondering what he was going to be doing next. He is a real director's gift. Clearly, you are working together hand in glove throughout the series. So just a little bit about the process of the rehearsing. So you select him. Then what do you do? Do you go into a sort of a workshopping scenario where you're working very closely with him? Because he just seems so on throughout this entire piece. The fact was that at the beginning, I was there. Me, my wife, my wife is also uh, very uh, supporting me in my casting decision, but we were alone besides my, my writer and co-creator, Benjamin Heslam, and also uh, Marcus. But the other decision makers, producers, they didn't see what I see. Uh, so it was a long fight with the producers to, to convince them to get him on board. And I had to go through several rounds with him even with makeup, even bring him into character because he completely looks different. He has short hair and no beard and he's blonde. <laughs> so so the, the abstraction was too much for the, for, the, for the producers to understand what I saw. But I start very early with him, so like more than a year because I knew I will need a lot of time to find him. Nearly six months of convincing. And then when I had him, then the, the whole character uh, building uh, started. And I'm uh, working very close with Charles Foreman. He's from Great Britain. He is an actor's coach from the actor's studio, a great spirit, a great master. A lot of films with him together. And with him and with uh, Ella Rumpf, who played Fleur, we dig in into their characters. We did seances. We did a lot of rehearsing in advance. So we really got into the place. We really understood, got back into the time. How does it feel to be a Jew in Austria at the end of the 20th century? Actors really had to understand what they are playing. playing. So that was, yeah, was more than uh, nearly, nearly half a year of just preparation of the character. I'm not surprised that you spent so much time with your actors because it just comes across on screen. And it really is an acting lesson for actors to watch and learn. Uh, the hypnosis and the threading and weaving of the hypnosis of that, all of that into the story arc would have been, I assume, one of the more labour-intensive aspects for you to direct and keep control over the entire piece. Was that the case? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, you're telling it something which is a period piece. So telling something which is period is also already very fiction because we're not living in that time anymore. So our approach was with the camera to be that we have somehow the feeling that could be real, that could be really authentic at that time to live like that. My appeal is always with the camera to be with the actors, to be very lively, to be with them to walk around with them, to, to, uh, to get an identification through camera and through body moving. Somehow you, you, you understand you're becoming uh, the character, in, if you like him. So this is the base. You start with that. If you start that, you have the base. You understand the world. And then you can shift away. Uh, you can shift away into the world of hypnosis, the world of uh, nightmares, the world, uh, world of dreams, and the world of transcendent 
situations like in episode seven when everything is very mystic. But I think the secret is always that you don't do a lot of fuss if you switch to the, the worlds or if you switch the realities. Don't do shifting cameras. <laughs> don't play too much around with uh, lenses. Don't use fog. Stay as much realistic as possible. Once I, I used uh, a fish, fish lens to tell the strangeness of a dream, but otherwise I, we tried to be very uh, realistic in sense of the camera. But of course, the dreams are, have elements with irritations, but those irritations, they come through set. For example, it's a completely black room without any borders or through the acting that he does things which are irrational, like drinking cocaine or doing stupid stuff. The secret for me, I think, is that you recognize the shift of reality, but not too much into your eyes. How much of having all of that freedom to explore, to create, have the expression of this world and not be tied to a biopic, how much freedom did that allow you to just sort of go on a bit of a mind bender? It's not a biopic, but the approach was that the Freud we're telling could be actually the real Freud. So we tried to be very close to, to his biography about the time where he was this young man. So he was like around 30. He was working as a doctor in a hospital. He tried to find his own practice. He was in love with his endless fiancé, Martha Bernay. And then around him, we created this genre world of the, the cop, the war hero, uh, Kiss, the murderers, and uh, the weird Hungarians with their rituals. And we mix them all together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it looks so, so good with the way it's all come together. And, you know, for me, the freshness for me uh, to your Freud was having the younger man, as you've already mentioned, where the sexuality can play with more freedom than the older Freud. And also the openness of the cocaine drug taking that helps take us to places that the story really needs to propel to. Freud really believes in the cocaine making him better, like a better man. But the cocaine side, biographically, was that correct about Freud? Yes, yes, we researched that. That was actually that what uh, what he did back then. So he really was also into measuring it, the doses of how much he should take. And he had an own journal where he did, it took notes about it. Of course, that was his legitimation for taking a lot of it. But what was really interesting for us at the beginning when we started with the series, we saw this portray of the old Freud, who looks sinister and very strict into the camera with the cigar in the hand and a respectable person, one of the most known intellectuals in our timeline, in our history. And it was a very important process to throw him from this, to create a human being with, with flaws, with, uh, with mistakes, with irritations, with weaknesses with restlessnesses, with addiction, with, with a brilliant mind, with anger. Because the old Freud, was, he was really about creating his own biography. So that was our aim, to understand who was the young Freud. And Vienna offers stunning architecture 
and the show looks incredibly rich and layered with the high production look of the piece but the series was actually filmed in prague even though the show takes place in vienna what made you shoot in prague instead of vienna uh, so we decided to shoot in prague out of several reasons one is a tax reason because with the money you spend in prague you get more money back on the other hand, there were also um, artistic reasons behind because Vienna is very renovated. All the buildings, if they are completely, although they are old, but they are all renovated. In Prague, you still find old buildings who look really old and you don't need to do enhancement with CGI or anything else. So they, they, the buildings look like that. So that, that doesn't mean that we just shoot in Prague. We drove through the whole Czech Republic to find the specifics of the architecture we needed. The main house, the Sühn house, the house where Freud had his first office, it was a very mysterious house. And we really searched through the whole Czech Republic to create it. The outside of the house was in one place. The inside of the house was another place. And the flat was studio. So, the, and also we worked with a whole setup, which was completely built in 3D CGI to understand where the house was located in Vienna. That was big fun to create this, this very specific workplace in early years. Well, the locations and the production values that come in behind the locations, absolutely just so on. I mean, they just have a very unique style, look, aesthetic to them. How exciting from an Austrian filmmaker is it to have this whole globalization through Netflix for people right across the globe to watch what you've done with Freud? The thing with pressure that the whole world is, is, is possible, this is an abstract feeling. You can't actually understand that, that the whole world is seeing your stuff. Even when they're telling you that 60 million people saw your show, it's, it sounds insane, <laughs> but you actually can't create a feeling for it. <laughs> you know, when I started studying film and making films, I had no idea about Netflix. And when I become a filmmaker, I start doing my first films for the cinema. And suddenly I was on a party in Toronto on a Netflix party in 2013 with my second feature, Blood Glacier. And I didn't know what, what Netflix was in 2013. And imagine five years later, everyone, everything is about Netflix. And yeah, this is, Netflix is huge. It, it changes the whole industry because it gives so many young people the chances to show their talent. They're searching for uh, unique, crazy ideas. They let me do what I wanted to do. And Netflix trusted my, my vision. That's huge. That's, that's something I feel very privileged for. Even though you've got this massive audience, it all strips down to a single person watching it on their device. Yes. That's where it boils down to a single viewer. Yes, you've got millions across the globe that have watched Freud, but you can't actually make something with that in your mind of how many millions of people are Absolutely. watching it. The feeling afterwards was interesting because I don't know if you know it, but there's some Netflix is very secret about their numbers and about yes. they, they gave me some insights. If you're searching the internet, you find some leaked sites where people collect the, the numbers from, from the world about every single show and every single film. And it was very funny to see where people like your film and where your show is in top 10 and where it's not. 
That is very interesting because you remember back then when I did my first short films, you have this feeling as a filmmaker, if you see sit with people you know or you don't know in a, in a, in a dark room, you feel without looking if the people like your film or not. And then seeing statistics where you see, ah, people from South America love Freud, uh, but people from North Europe don't like Freud. <laughs> it, is, uh, it, is, it is absurd. It's absurd, but it's fascinating, interesting. And Marvin, back to Freud, I found that the whole cult aspect of it made me think a little bit of eyes wide shut for some reason here are these two sort of in a parallel way of the way that i was thinking about it has anybody else made that sort of similar type of uh, claim that eyes wide shut made them think of freud uh, yes me <laughs> no very interesting because eyes wide shut is based on arthur schnitzler's dream novel one of my favorite books and the dream novel is such a poetic piece, and I recommend to everyone to read it, because if you read it, you, you understand the secret of Vienna. The dream novel more or less plays in one night, and you get an incredible feeling for, for the mystics and the secrets of Vienna at that time. So the whole appeal of the dream novel, Arthur Schnitzler, who set up in, he wrote it actually more or less in that time where our show's uh, place was the big inspiration for, for my series. But uh, with the whole cult uh, aspect, I can't quote Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut cult scene directly. Actually, I'm a big fan of this film. I can watch it over and over again. Out there, there's some, some haters of the film, but I think it's, it's a very, very fascinating movie. So let's bring in your cinematographer and collaborator on Freud, Marcus Nestroy. Hi, Marcus. Hi there. Another Austrian. You guys are taking over the world of filmmaking. <laughs> sure, yeah. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> how long have you known Marvin and how did you land the task of shooting Freud? Well, uh, actually, we, Marvin and I met, I think, a few months before um, the prep began in Vienna. I was invited to Vienna and we went to this uh, restaurant where Marvin always goes to. And we had a very good time. And I think we understood quite well from the beginning. And that was our starting point of our collaboration. I have to compliment you, Marcus. The, the series from a cinematography aspect is just so well executed. Sometimes when watching a series, you have episodes that you skip because of a lack of engagement for the viewer, or you might mm -hmm. skip through some scenes. But as a viewer, you never do this on Freud. Every single scene is just so well crafted through the camera. And it appears that a lot of pre-production has gone into the series. So perhaps explain to our filmmaker audience the process that you and Marvin went through with the work in pre-production and how you sort of mapped out all the series. So we really went uh, into pre-production quite early. I think we, uh, we started shooting uh, in January and we started already in uh, July. So we really had a lot of pre-production because we knew it would be quite important to have good locations, to have a good art department, to really discuss every, uh, everything, every scene, to find the right moods, to find the right, uh, you know, like the mixture of costume, art design, camera, lighting and directing as well. 
And we talked a lot about how the series should feel like. So because it was for sure a period piece, but we wanted it to feel quite uh, modern. So we, we, we said, hey, let's not do the classic period piece things. Let's go for a different approach, which is uh, more modern. We had early on, even when we got to know each other, agreed on this modern approach. And it was really not easy because you it's a trap. You get easily into this. Uh, you have all this huge art department, huge sceneries uh, that you go, don't go into this trap of, okay, let's do the, the really big shots. But instead, going a step back and having this handheld, dirty, gritty look uh, with a lot of dark with uh, a lot of backlight you know what i mean i think that that really came through because you haven't uh, shot it in that typical period way of shooting there, there is a lot more of a dynamic way to the filming rather than your typical tried and true forms of period pieces so that choice was very clear from a viewing aspect that that was the way that you went down that whole track mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But uh, is uh, I think um, you have to work hard on it that you don't get into this too much. That you really have this approach. And what what does it mean? You always have to translate it. What it means to be modern in every way. You don't want to make silly decisions. You want to have it worthy. You want to show the what you built there for a lot of money, right? Clearly, you always wanted to keep the movement happening with the camera. How important was that to the whole look and the way that you processed every episode of Freud with the movement of that camera? I think it was to keep it all alive, to be as close to the action. We kept it very flexible on the set. So we had like a 360 degree sets because lighting was from top or from outside the windows. So there were no tripods, no stands, no whatsoever lighting in the set. The set. We just rehearsed a lot. We just spoke a lot. We tried things and then uh, we came in with the cameras and, and shot it, you know, even the rehearsals. Maybe we, we kept on shooting maybe longer than we expected for a take and that gave us and the scenes and the actors and also Marvin, I hope, a lot of flexibility. And it was always going with the actors, moving with the actors and that added, it's never standing still, you know, it's always evolving every, every second is something new happening, you know. Yeah, and even just those quieter moments where it might be just a, a 180 sort of movement around the face but it is so effective if you've just got that movement happening in a static situation for the actor. You can see what they're thinking through the eyes. There's just that dynamicness of something so simple. But mm -hmm. if you don't do it, you haven't got the movement. We had a lot of, a lot of static cam actually. So the, the P cam was mostly on static cam so that we can move freely around the actors. So we had rarely dolly or um, anything like that, sliders or cranes. We never had a crane, actually, I think. It's very flexible. You can, you can be sp spontaneous, but you can also be very, very... You have nice movements. Uh, you can go with the actors without too much shaking. So we always chose what was best suited for this particular scene or take and emotion. Yeah. 
And moving between the dream sequences and the flashbacks, time and different lighting spaces, it's very clear when moving in and out of those elements that you don't get confused, or at least I didn't get confused. There is this fluent nature of the construct of watching it play out like a well-choreographed dance. It looks like so much planning has gone into achieving that. Honestly, we did a lot on set. We prepped a lot, we talked a lot, we thought about it a lot, and we wrote a lot of things down. But in the end, I think we just throw everything away. We still knew what we were talking about. And then on set, we just got inspired by the scenes, by the actors. We uh, had rehearsals with, with the actors. We watched them and decided then what to do. So it was, I think, a very organic and intuitive approach, which helped for sure people, emotions, connections, and uh, going even deeper into pain and yeah, in, in, into the, the brains of the people. And the production design you mentioned, it's just first class. It's authentic. It's true. We never get kicked out of what we're watching. There is never a false moment. So big congratulations to the production designer, the art department, also mm -hmm. likewise the costuming and the hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. How deep did you go from a cinematographer's point of view with your production designer with planning and world building? It was a lot of testing, a lot of talking first, then a lot of testing just talking about small stuff between Verena Wagner, who did the production design, and Max Wohlkönig, who uh, did the costumes. You end up having a good relationship, talking about scenes, talking about colors, talking about what is this scene about? How can we achieve the best look? Verena built like small miniature sets sometimes, which I could light and even put like a small camera in it and check uh, how it would work. She drew a lot of like concept arts and this all came together. And I think it was just the, the, the communication that's very, very, very important. And it's not an easy job because it's so many details and you get lost to other problems and in, um, for sure, budget problems, but you still keep the, the arts, you know, uh, yeah, still yeah. the style, even, even though you're fighting. And in the end, I think Verena did a really crazy job and we were blown away. And also because of the high value of the production design, we were able to have like 360 degrees of just beauty and dark walls with uh, nuances of colors. And that helped me a lot. And I think um, if, if, if she would not have been so, um, so good and the, the art department and the production design, then I would not have been able to do all this, these pictures, this framings. I think that's a huge, huge thing. And those the cost uh, costumes which make the rest, which just make it perfect, you know, like the, yeah, just the point on, on the eye. Uh, it was so well done right across the board with the production and art department. What about the process for lighting? How did you light it? Was there any particular things that you can share with our uh, filmmaker audience? Lighting was, in the end, it was, was quite simple. As I said before, uh, we lit it from above and from outside, even in the studio, because I knew when we go, uh, when we would go outside to the locations, to the real locations, it would be very hard to have like a perfect lighting because you're always fighting against realism of uh, filmmaking and logistics. 
And so I also kept in the studio this exact kind of lighting, uh, which gave us uh, a lot of freedom, which is not always the perfect lighting. And I thought it, I've, I did not expect it to work so well, actually, because normally everything's full of uh, flags, stands, uh, <laughs> lamps. Yeah. And, uh, but here it was just a free set. The lighting was very, very backlit very dark, very hard contrast, uh, often over overlit windows, which burned maybe, which some people may not like, but I thought it was okay for this because it was like through the whole series that you don't never see out of the windows, which also helps in the studio for sure, because you always have the problem of, hey, what's outside? This was the main thing. And then um, for sure, colors. I like to work a lot with, with colors to think, hey, what could be there in this time period? Yeah, we had wonderful uh, real locations in Prague. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. It's, sometimes it's really a fight, but uh, I think we, we achieved it quite well. Marcus, you did a great job on this. So great to watch Freud with a cinematographer really bringing it right across the series. So, Marcus, great to talk to you about lensing Thanks. this project, and thank you so much for coming on to the film podcast. Cool. Thanks a lot for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. You've got another series which is coming up, and it couldn't be more different to Freud, which includes working with Ricky Gervais. Well, it all started with the show I did before Freud. That was uh, Four Blocks. Uh, Four Blocks is um, a gangster show. With the mafia in Berlin, there is like a very strong Lebanese-Kurdish mafia thing going on. You actually worked with real gangsters, didn't you? Yes, I worked with people from the streets. The show became very successful in Germany and made all out of the gangsters big stars. <laughs> so, And uh, somehow Mr. Sherway saw this, this show and loved it and wrote on Twitter, he loves the show and that everyone should see that show. And the show Greenlight, you mentioned, is about Kida Koda Ramadan, who plays the mafia boss of my show. And it's like uh, a piece where he plays himself. And I'm Marvin Crenn, the director, tells him that Ricky Chauvet loves our show. And he researches who Ricky Chauvet is and discovers that he did a show like Extras. And he says, well, I can do a show like Extras as well and flies over to England and asks Ricky Chauvet to sell him the rights. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> the idea of the show. The rights is for a German adaption of yes, Extras. Yes, thank you, for a German adaption. The show is about making a show. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. I want to see that. I was just a little part in it. I just played myself in it. I was just, I had just a guest appearance. But uh, I am now, I can't tell too much, but I'm, I'm working for a big streamer now on a big, big, big series, and hopefully it comes out 2023. <laughs> 2023, it sounds like that's the next time that you and I will have a conversation. Yes, please, Craig, that would be so much fun. I, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Your questions were fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, Marvin, it's been a real eye-opener sort of looking into your career in particular, having a look at Freud, which has just done so brilliantly. And yeah, look forward to talking in 2023. And thank you for coming on to the film podcast. Every time again, Craig, every time again. Thank you so much. 
You've been listening to The Film Podcast with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week.